Well, I want to begin by saying congratulations, students. It is a joy for us to celebrate with you the accomplishments that you have reached and to, to celebrate and to praise God for all that he has done in and through you to bring you to this point. You are in a real way ending one chapter of life and getting ready to enter into really the majority, uh, majority of your life ahead of you, and I'm sure that is with great excitement and maybe yet uh, great uh, apprehension as there are lots of choices to come your way. I was talking to one of our seniors from the campus club this past Thursday morning, and I, said, I asked her, I said, is this bittersweet for you as you get ready to kind of end your high school career? And she said, no, this is just sweet. This is just sweet. I'm, I'm ready to be done. And I understand that after, after a high school diploma and three college degrees, I understand the sweetness of being done. And so celebrate this moment, enjoy this moment. But as you know, there are many choices and decisions coming ahead of you, whether this summer or in the years to come. Life is full of choices. It's just full of choices. From the moment you wake up until the moment you lay your head down on your pillow at night, your day is full of choices. I don't know about you, maybe, I hope I'm not the only one who has ever had this issue, but when you pull into a drive through at a restaurant and you get up to the little speaker and you can barely hear what the person is saying through the speaker, obviously they're asking you what you want because they want your money, but you, you get done talking to the speaker and usually I say, would you just give me one second? And I look up and right above the speaker is this really bright illuminated menu of like a hundred choices of how to get a burger done. I just want a burger. Can I just get a burger? Burger and fries, have it your way, they say, but there's like a million options. And sometimes that overwhelming feeling is how we feel going through life. Or maybe you're like me on some of the other days where you pull up to a car in the drive-thru and you want to get out and help them make the decision of just get a burger, (laughs) right? Just get a burger. It doesn't take that long. And uh, so choices are all around us. I mean, we face simple choices. We face complex choices. Simple ones like what will we eat or... Um, what will we watch on TV to complex choices like uh, what career will I pursue? Uh, Where will I live? Who will I marry? Choices are a necessary part of life. And the reality is, is people who have difficulty with choices have a difficulty with life. Think about it. If we don't learn how to make choices wisely about our time, we will be the busiest people you've ever met, constantly running back and forth, feeling like we can't just stop And catch our breath. If we don't learn how to make choices about what we believe in, we will stand for nothing and fall for anything. If we don't make wise choices about our finances, we will always feel a sense of being poor and like financial freedom is just outside of our reach. Choices are important. The truth is is that we make our choices and then our choices define us. The choices that you make this summer and the choices that you'll make in your undergrad career will define you most likely for years to come. Choices are all around us. And this morning I want to talk about the greatest decision that we need to make each day. I invite you to turn with me to Joshua chapter 24. And if you're one of our students in our student ministry, uh, we've been reading through the book of Joshua here in the month of May, and you probably have an idea of where I'm going. But Joshua here in Joshua chapter 24 has been highlighting, this is his farewell speech to the nation of Israel. Joshua is 110 years old, and he's giving this last final challenge as he realizes, or I should say because he realizes, his life is fast and quickly ebbing away. This is an exciting time for Israel, by the way. 
They have defeated their enemies. They have entered into the promised land. The tribes have received their inheritance. It is a time of peace, a time of prosperity, a time of hope. But catch this. It is also a time of great danger. Because the challenge is, the question is, will they take their eyes off, the, off of the one who brought them to this point? Oftentimes in comfort, complacency thrives. Apathy thrives. And Joshua recognizes that because as a nation, now that they are comfortable and at peace and with hope and prospering greatly, will they take their eyes off of God and stop living by faith? Or will they continue to move forward to honor Him? And so Joshua lays out this challenge. And if we pick it up in verse 14, this is Joshua 24. He says, Now therefore, fear the Lord. And serve him in sincerity and truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt. And serve the Lord. It's, it's a threefold command. It's a pretty simple command. But he begins by saying, fear the Lord. And oftentimes when we come across the word fear in Scripture, we think of cringing in terror. But as I've said before, as we've been walking through the book of Philippians, and you come across chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, where Paul says, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Fear has so much more to it than just cringing in terror. There is that aspect. But in the Scriptures, fear and fearing the Lord means having a deep respect for God so much so that we want to please Him with our lives. We want to honor Him. And so we move forward in a fear of saying, I want to do it rightly to honor Him. I don't want to do anything that would, that would stain the name of Christ. And so it's fear the Lord. Secondly, Joshua says serve the Lord with sincerity and truth. The word serve is used 15 times in this chapter. It is the whole point of chapter 24. Serve the Lord. Now, serving means fearing Him, obeying Him, worshiping Him, honoring Him, being the blessing that the nation of Israel was supposed to be to the surrounding nations. You might remember the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis chapter 12 where God says you are to be a blessing to the nations around you. So part of serving Him is being an example to those who see us. And He says serve Him with sincerity and truth, meaning wholeheartedly. Don't just give lip service. This needs to be everything that you are. He's saying, give it your all. As Harold Paul challenged us two weeks ago, are we all in? Serve the Lord with sincerity and integrity. It's what Paul writes in Ephesians where he says, live a life, live, live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Live in a manner worthy of the gospel. And thirdly, he says, put away the other gods. Put away the gods which your fathers served. Anything that we place in our life ahead of the Lord needs to be put to the side, needs to be put away from. There needs to be a clean break. Verse 14 and 15 here this morning that we're going to be looking at is really a call to renounce idolatry. Why? Because we are designed as worshipers, and the truth is we will worship either someone or something all the time. Something always has our focus and our worship. For Israel, and I would say even in a very similar vein for us, all around us there are religions, there are relationships, there are things that we grasp onto to give us security, to give us purpose, to give us meaning in life, and sometimes even good things can become idols, such as our spouse, our family, our country, our career, our athletic ability, our education, our technology. 
Anything that we place before God is an idol. Brian Carter from Authentic Manhood says, Idolatry is when we allow anything other than God to become the center of our heart's true happiness, contentment, meaning, identity, purpose, or security. It's when we allow something else to become an idol or a surrogate God in our life, ruling our thoughts, emotions, and behavior. And so Joshua gives this threefold command, fear the Lord, serve the Lord, and put away the other gods. And then it comes to the challenge in verse 15 where he says this, If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served which were beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, I think sometimes when we look at verse 15 here, we think Joshua is just laying out a buffet before the people of Israel, saying, here are all your options, as if God is just one of those options. So you've got the God of the Amorites, the gods of the Egyptians, the gods of Terah and Abraham, and you've got the one true God, as if they are all equal. But that's not what Joshua is saying. Notice verse 14, he says, serve the Lord, right? That's the command. That's what you're supposed to be doing. And then verse 15, he says, if that is disagreeable in your sight, if following the one true God is disagreeable in your sight, you still have to choose something to worship because there's no neutral ground. And the other options that you've got left, to be, to be honest, is nothing but trash. You've got all these other false gods, false worship. Let me just highlight what Joshua highlights in verses 2 through 13 because he, he reminds the Israelites who this God is, the one true God, the God the, of Israel. Let me just quickly highlight those things. This is uh, God speaking through Joshua to the people. And he says this, I took your father Abraham from beyond the river. I led him through the land of Canaan. I made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I sent Moses and Aaron. I plagued Egypt. I brought your fathers out of Egypt. When you cried out to me, I put darkness between you and the Egyptians. I made the sea come and cover them. I brought you to the land of the Amorites east of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hands, and I destroyed them before you. I delivered you out of the hand of Balaam. I gave you the seven nations of Canaan into your hand, and I sent the hornet that helped you, the panic that preceded your conquest. And now you live in lands which you have not toiled and cities which you have not built, and you're eating the fruit from their vineyards that you have not planted. That is who this God is. This whole historical record of verses 2 through 13 affirm the fact of his long-suffering, his graciousness, his generousness, his steadfast commitment to the people of Israel. The reality is that when you look at verse 2 through 13, the people of God would not be standing here before Joshua if it wouldn't have been for the hand of God. They accomplished nothing on their own. God provided for them. And Joshua wants to help them make an informed choice. If that God seems disagreeable, the one true God seems disagreeable to you, what else do you have? So Joshua lists the other options. You've got the gods beyond the river. We can go all the way back to Terah, right? The father of Abraham. They worship the moon god, the sun god, the god of astrology, the god of mysticism. Well, who led Abraham out of Ur? The one true god. Not their moon god, not the sun god. They could do nothing for Abraham. You have the gods of Egypt, right? They seem a little nicer. They didn't they didn't demand human sacrifice. 
I mean, Israel was there for 400 years, and they saw Egypt at really its high point in, in, with their, with their uh, politics, with their military, with their economy, socially. They saw, and it, what they saw looked amazing. The aesthetics, the power. And yet, remember the ten plagues that God sent as Moses and Aaron were there to bring the people out of Egypt? Each one of those plagues was against a specific god of the Egyptians, whether it was the god of water, the god of fertility, the god of hope, the god of the earth, and even against Pharaoh, who claimed to be God. He couldn't protect his own family. God defeated each one of the Egyptian gods and said, look, they're all powerless. They're all weak. They're not a true god. It's false worship. Joshua says, you can worship one of them. Or you can worship one of the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, right? This is the god of Baal, the god of sensuality, the god of Molech, which demanded child sacrifice. Most of the Molech statues have their hands out and they demanded that you would put your newborn on its arms and your newborn would roll down the arms into fire. You want to worship those gods? And Joshua, I'm sure, is thinking, let me remind you that as we entered into the promised land, the whole book of Joshua, not one of those gods could protect their cities. We conquered and God provided and God proved himself to be the one true God. Joshua is making his point very clear. If you do not serve God, what do you have left? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely garbage. Any other lowercase g God that we put before God is not worthy of our worship. Joshua wants the people here to commit to the Lord with informed consent God had made them into a nation. He fought their battles. He was the one who brought them out of slavery. He chose them, not the other way around. And, and I, would, I, would, I would ask you, church, to look at Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10, and I believe the same is very true of our lives, that we are only here by the grace of God. It is only by the grace of God that we get to come together and worship Him. Let me just highlight, if you take a quick, quick caption throughout the scriptures. This is who God is. He is personal. He is all powerful. He is ever present. He knows all things. He is sovereign. He is holy. He is righteous. He is just. He is love. He is merciful. He is faithful. He never changes. He is the father to the fatherless, the righteous judge. He is truth. He always fulfills his promises. His words are faithful and true. He is full of grace. He is infinite, incomparable, unchanging, shows compassion, judges sin and offers forgiveness. He is the creator and the sustainer of life. He is the self-existent one who is perfect in power, goodness, and wisdom. He is the one who sent the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. And in Christ, we are justified, sanctified, will one day be glorified. In Christ, we are more than conquerors. If that seems disagreeable to us, there are plenty of other idols that would clamor for our loyalty. The God of success, the God of material accumulation, the God of academia, the God of public approval. Who will you serve is the question that's on the table. And Joshua is challenging the people. Who will you serve? Who will you serve? When all is said and done, our ultimate service is either to the world or to the Lord, to self or to God, to the enemy or to God. It's time maybe that we ask ourselves some honest questions. 
Who or what are you serving? What is it that occupies our greatest attention? What causes us to become most animated in our conversation? What is it that we wake up thinking about first and foremost? What steals our focus before God? Joshua challenged the people, choose who you will serve. Jesus says similar words. If you think it's only an Old Testament thing, Jesus says these words in the Gospels. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and wealth. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. In Luke chapter 14, he lays out the call of discipleship, and he says these words, If anyone comes to me and does not hate, meaning to love them less, if you do not love less your own father and mother and wife and child and brothers and sisters, yes, and even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. In verse 33, So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all of your possessions. The kind of discipleship that Jesus is after is wholehearted devotion. Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. My friends, just as the Israelites lived in a dangerous moment here, are they going to choose to continue to follow God or not? Are they going to grow complacent in their comfort? I would challenge us with the idea that maybe the church of today is at a similar situation. Do we live in our comfort and have we taken our eyes off of God and placed them onto the idols of this world? What has our focus? Joshua here in Joshua 24, he sets the challenge. He sets the challenge. He lays down the gauntlet for the rest of the people by stating his clear intention. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. His life stood as an encouragement to godly living Does your life and my life, is it an encouragement to godly living or to godless living? Joshua challenges them to make their choice between false worship and true, between the indulgence of their lusts and the approval of their conscience. But as for himself, his choice is already made. He is all in. There's no desire here to gain approval from the Israelites. There's no desire to pursue the lower temptations of this world. Joshua has walked with God. For decades, he has seen God provide through the ministry of Moses, and even as he himself has been the commander, or I should say the the leader of the nation, he was dedicated. There was no room for debate here. He was determined. He was resolved. And let me remind you, Joshua knew what it felt like to be a minority. In the book of Numbers, when the 12 spies go into the promised land and they all come back, only Joshua and Caleb say, let's go in, let's follow God. God will take us through and deliver. The other ten said, no, this is too scary. And what did the the nation do? They chose not to. And for 40 years, they walked around the desert until that generation died off. And then Joshua and Caleb walked in together following God. So what does it mean to choose the Lord? Well, maybe a few things. It means to quit straddling the fence. In our lives, it's, it's so easy, even in my own life, to say, I want a little bit of both. 
I want to follow the Lord, but there's these other hobbies or passions or things that steal my focus. Quit straddling the fence. As I said, there's no neutral ground. It's either we worship the one true God or we worship an idol. We need to be willing to root out everything that hinders our commitment. What idols are in our life right now that are stealing our focus? And like I said, make a clean break with them. We need to seek as believers to influence the world rather than to be influenced by it. Are we truly living as salt and light in the world of darkness? Are we making an impact for the kingdom of God? Or have we got caught up with some other thing that has stolen our focus and made us in a way useless for the kingdom? We need to pursue our discipleship as a serious commitment. What's interesting here, and when Joshua says, choose for yourselves today, first of all, this is personal. It's for yourselves. You choose. But the word choose in the Hebrew is in the tense that indicates continuous action. This is not a once and done decision that we make and the rest of our life is good to go. This is a day-by-day, moment-by-moment battle. What choice did you make this morning? What choice did you make yesterday? What choice will you make tomorrow? Who will we serve? The Israelites were awesome at giving lip service and then walking away from God. As you might remember at Mount Sinai, they told Moses, yeah, yeah, you go up and you talk to God. We'll follow, we'll follow him. And not long after, they're making a golden calf to worship. If you take Joshua chapter 24 and you flip just over a few pages to the right, within the next few chapters, their eyes are off of God once again and onto the things of this world. I wonder if, if we're not guilty of that too sometimes. We come to church to worship and we sing songs that we, we love. We love you, Lord. We'll serve you, Lord. And then Monday morning rolls around and the busyness of life the other choices that we have to make steal our focus. And before we know it, we're living for self rather than for God. D.L. Moody, in closing here, was transformed by a preacher who said, the world has yet to see what God can do through one person who is completely committed to Him. And Moody set out to be that one person and made a great impact for the kingdom. Would you be willing to be a similar person who would say, I am sold out for Christ? I'm going to be fully committed, and each day when I wake up, I'm going to say, Lord, I want to serve you. Lord, I'm going to serve you. And as we make our choices, and especially, and this, I think sometimes when we come to graduation Sunday, we think this is only for the graduates, but brothers and sisters, this is for each one of us. Who will you serve tomorrow when you wake up? Who will you serve the rest of today? Will you be willing to be the one who is fully committed? Joshua's question is one we have to address Will we take a stand for Christ or will we continue to straddle the fence? Will we be all in or will we just continue to play at faith? I know you've heard it said, and I think it's a true statement, we are as close to God as we want to be. It's time to make a choice. It's time to decide whether we will be a follower of Christ or just one of his fans. Will we be like Joshua who says, I'm all in. As for me and my family, He is the direction we're headed in. We will not let comfort, 
We will not let complacency, we will not let the idols of this world, significance and control and power, we won't let those things steal our focus because we're going to serve the Lord. Will you make that decision with me today? That we will serve the Lord no matter what else. And graduates, as you have opportunity to go to college and to start in your career, I encourage you to keep your eyes upon Christ. For in Him there is true satisfaction. There is true purpose. As our Sunday school class highlighted this morning, there is hope and there is purpose and there is grace in Christ alone. In Christ alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is a great challenge that Joshua lays out before the people. Father, there are so many things clamoring for our attention. We live in a noisy world, a noisy time. Lord, there's always something saying, focus on me. Do this, do that. But Lord, help us, as Joshua said, help us to resolve in our hearts like Daniel did and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did where we, said, where we say, no matter what, Lord, we will serve you because you are the only true God even as it was highlighted in verse 2 through 13 and throughout the Scriptures, Lord, You are the only one worthy of our love, of our praise, of our lives being lived out for. So help us, Lord, to pursue You with everything that we have, everything that we are. Lord, I pray that as the church, we would be willing to put away the other gods, the other things that steal our focus, the idols, Father, help us not to have in our back pocket a, a little God we cling to when you don't come through the way we think you should. But Father, help us to step out in faith, trusting that your will will be accomplished, that your way is right. Help us to make a clean break with those things that so easily steal our hearts. Father, thank you for the challenge this morning. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.